Welcome back to the Dead TV Podcast after a brief hiatus uh, covering the 1980s War of the Worlds TV series and the season finale of the War of the Worlds TV series. And an announcement of what we're going to do after War of the Worlds in the fall, which I thought was going to be in the summer. But no, we're, we're, we're on War of the Worlds through the summer. <laughs> and I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And I just want to get it out of the way now. Mr. Seneca, what are we doing in the fall of 2021? The fall of 2021, uh, celebrating the downfall of mankind. <laughs> Is that the wasteland that the character wiz- lives in? No, what uh, comic book cartoon series are we covering? Oh, we're announcing it. Okay. Um, yes. We're <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was the good setup for it. <laughs> not at all, but I'm rolling with it. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not editing uh, this out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next show that we're doing is super short. It is uh, MTV's The Max, and I actually do own the trade paperback comics. And the reason that we're doing it is that it's very near and dear, special to me. And my focus area will be not on the comics particularly, but on basically how it affected me at that time and what I was going through at that time. It's for me. You know, humor me, folks. (laughs) So we're going to get a deep cut into Mr. Zeneca's life in 1994 when that show premiered. I'll tell you what I was doing in 1994 at that time. Probably should have been paying attention to that show. But, no, I, it was first year of military school. <laughs> Sums it up. Um, <laughs> I watched the Max very briefly when it came on, and then it was, like, in the reruns that I, I really got into it. And uh, I um, recently purchased uh, Darker Image number one, which is the first appearance of the Max, and mm-hmm. a copy of the Max number one. Very easy to find at your local comic book store on eBay, people. Let me tell you. Uh, Max number one cost me a buck. Image Comics, dark, Darker Image number one, cost me a couple bucks. Now, do you know how many copies they sold of that thing? No. A million. Nice. Right. And what does it tell you about a comic book that sells a million copies that you can find for a buck now? <laughs> uh, fandom has gone down. Uh, not only that, but inflation market has also killed it. Do you know what comic book came out at the same time as Darker Image number one and the Max number one that didn't sell a million copies but almost goes for a million dollars these days? No, which? Batman Adventures number 12, the first appearance in comics of Harley Quinn. Oh. Yes. She would actually make her in-continuity first appearance of the actual ongoing comic books of Batman, which is happening right now, in the one-shot Batman Harley Quinn number one which was tied into the No Man's Land storyline where she is um, found in a waste dump by Poison Ivy, and uh, it happens during the uh, year-long No No Man's Land story arc in Gotham. But uh, she made her first appearance in a comic book cartoon tie-in book. Um, And, uh, yeah, that book goes for incredible amounts of money because it did not sell a million copies. It sold like a few, you know, thousand copies or so. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to know, and we've never really gone into it too deep because there's nothing connected to the TV show, what was the first comic book appearance of The War of the Worlds? First first comic book appearance? Yes. What's the first comic book appearance of anything of The War of the Worlds? Hmm. It's probably one of those gold key comics. Do you know what those comics were? Yes, I do remember the gold keys, but also they had a... Um, books Illustrated. 
I'd have to look at my notes to actually pull the fact up for you. Yeah, um, I've always wondered that. I'm like, what is the first comic book <laughs> appearance of the War of the Worlds? And, and there is no comic book tie-in to the TV show. I thought there was. I thought I found something, but they said no. That is uh, its own kind of thing, and they just happen to slap on the cover. Now a major TV series, you know, now a whatever TV show. Uh, just like yeah. there's never been a comic book tie-in to uh, the sister show uh, that was running at the same time, Friday the 13th. There's never been any expanded media Friday the 13th. Well, for War of the Worlds, they have had cartoon uh, homages. Right, you know, but, but nothing involving but, these characters. No. Not, not Blackwood? Not, not, or, not to my knowledge, but I'd have to really dig through my... Tons and tons of research to get that fact out for you. Yeah, I I was trying to find it myself, but to no avail. So tonight's uh, beginning of the two episodes is the raising of Lazarus, which probably has some biblical terms, and Lazarus has been used in many science fiction uh, media's titles for things and such. Yes, <laughs> the rising of Lazarus. The rising. Uh, well, actually, it says the raising of Lazarus on IMDb. You have the rising of Lazarus? I have the rising. Ah. So did you get that from Google or someplace else? Uh, I thought I copied it from the episode itself. Interesting. Maybe the episode does say the rising. It's been a few weeks since I've watched these because we didn't record the last uh, couple weeks uh, due to personal reasons. But the raising of Lazarus is how it's said on IMDb. But I do see in another place it does say the, say the rising. Well, <laughs> it was produced uh, May 8th. 1989, near an isolated nuclear research facility, an alien scout ship is discovered. As the team arrives and set up their operations, command of the find is handed over to Colonel Alexander and his mysterious Project 9. Hmm. So, um, this reminds me of the X-Files, the movie, and then, like, subsequent episodes that involve, like, the beginning of them finding, like, a thing in the ice. No joke or pun intended to the movie, the thing, you know, which is in the ice, which is an alien crash. I mean, that that's what it was reminding me of because the setup, even the parkas that they wear with the fur on them, yep. looked like John Carpenter's The Thing. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Very interesting that they uh, they would allude to it that way, but we don't. And, and I guess the aliens in the series are very much like the uh, John Carpenter's thing, you know, um, or the Black Ooze uh, aliens that the um, Mulder and Scully would fight on the X Files because it body possesses people. Another thing that reminded me of the thing is in they have the air ducts, and, the, and there's a camera scene where the alien is walking back and forth through these air ducts, and it has a fan in the background, so it has this bathed-in-blue light with the fan slowly turning, making the shadows uh, behind it. So that was very reminiscent of the cover for The Thing. Now, do we know where the USAF, USAF geological site is in the actual real world? I did not look that one up. USA Geological Site. Let me see, because I don't know either. I just wrote it down as soon as I saw it. Nothing comes up on Google. I'm assuming if you type in a location on Google, it would actually give you a location. Um, all I get is a flashing message saying, FBI will be here soon. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so that must be my pizza getting delivered. Okay. 
Oh, hey, what's up? What? 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 Dr. Chris. I am replacing Dr. Chris now. <laughs> I have entered his body through his anus. Spirit, Spirit Lake, Wisconsin is another location I wanted to look up. I want to know if that was real. Like, is that also a, uh, you know, like a government site kind of thing? Mm-hmm. One of the things I always... I know people hate the Transformer movies, but I always thought that they actually did a good job of, like, the whole, the government's not ignoring that there's giant alien robots and there's, like, a MI6 FBI men in black organization to help deal with problems like that. And if you were watching some television show called WandaVision, S.W.O.R.D. is exactly what that is in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense, too, considering S.W.O.R.D. is... Sword is the replacement for shield because there's no shield anymore. But yeah, Spirit Lake is a lake in Prince County, Wisconsin, in Taylor Country, Wisconsin. That is a source of the Spirit River. It is a contagious and at the same uh, it is contingu con it is con at the same elevation of North Spirit Lake, connected by the narrow channel. That's basically it. There's nothing about any government research facility. Maybe it's under the water. I wouldn't expect there to be anyway. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, you just type it into Google and it's right there. I mean, you can find Area 51 <laughs> on Google, right? Oh, that's true, too. Yes. Colonel Frederick Alexander is our new character, and he's kind of a jackass. He's our new jackass for the episode, and he's played by Nicholas Coster. If I'm saying his name right, Coster? Coster? Uh, uh, yes. I think so. He was in a lot of stuff. That is kind of interesting. The Last Exorcist. There's The Last Exorcism and there's The Last Exorcist. I'm just pointing that out. Um, but uh, I remember him mostly as Markham from another government conspiracy kind of thing, All the President's Men, which is one of my favorite political movies of all time. And I always thought it was hilarious that Robert Redford, who's in All the President's Men, about the Watergate scandal would go on to play the head of HYDRA and S.H.I.E.L.D. in Captain America the Winter Soldier, which is a government conspiracy story. Huh. Is that interesting? That's very interesting. I, you know, he's one of those actors where you see his face, you recognize his face, and you can't imagine where he's from. Because he plays on single episodes of a lot of shows. So the craft that they're inspecting, you know, they get inside the building, they're inspecting the craft, it looks very strange. You know, it's definitely a single-person vehicle, and they're saying it's like a scout ship. It kind of is reminiscent of a slice of bread to me. You know, it has uh, – it's upright, individual. You know, it almost looks like it was maybe packed with other pods of the shape. But the sides have these lines and crosshatches. That's actually startlingly beautiful, um, but must have been supremely claustrophobic for – the alien, if they have claustrophobia. And as predictable, of course, the alien wakes up. I did like the touch, though, that the uh, lid for the alien craft itself screws open, and it has that audible, almost like metal-on-metal machined sound. So it screws open and popped open, uh, and the alien was exposed to the air. The device that they pull out that has the frozen alien in it, the symbol on it looks like the Triforce symbol from Zelda. It does! The fact that they have a still frozen alien in there is, uh... You know, um, they should just, like, burn it, but they want to, like, cut it open. And my notes also say... Uh, oh, Dr. Forrester is mentioned from the uh, the movie. 
Yeah, and so they're going into Dr. Forrester's research to figure out what he was getting on about for the aliens, or if there's any discoveries from there. And he was working on the method of sonic uh, indicators, like maybe certain frequencies can be counter to them, such as their ray gun is counter to us. So he was working on that. They use a sonic device to try to unlock the pod itself. And it worked, I believe, unless, of course, the alien opened the pod itself after waking up from the sonic scream. But that was a little, that was a little fuzzy for me. My, my favorite note that I wrote down about this episode is Susan's ugly Christmas sweater. <laughs> it was the 80s. They had ugly sweaters. They still have ugly sweaters, but that thing looks hideous on her. Yeah. <laughs> Snoopy guard lets the uh, leaves the door open. The alien escapes and is alive. How is this alien not under watchful eye twenty four seven by a team of people? Because they don't have the budget to hire more actors. Ah. It's the only explanation for it. But you think? I guess there's no science fiction in this universe that they don't point out that this is like something that bad that could happen. Colonel Alexander, his cockamamie scheme is for him to merge himself with the alien, kind of ignoring all the research that Blackwood and his team have been doing about that, ignoring everything and wanting to do this one operation. And the alien takes that opportunity to communicate with him how to do it. I'm not sure if that drug that he injected into himself was to aid the transformation of the alien cells into his, like he didn't have enough something or other in order to make the fully transitioned into his body. I don't know. But he was going crazy. Like, fanatically crazy. Yeah, he was really all about wanting to be involved with the alien species and being their, like, you know, like, go-to guy for their their invasion uh, right from the beginning. Which is, like, he got the information about the Blackwood Project and was like, this is my destiny, to merge with one of these, you know, giant walking turd creatures. Also, this giant walking turd creature in the air duct and everything, this is the first time we've ever seen an alien running around like the way he is, fully upright, not in shadow, full light, nothing hidden. We see him all over, from top to bottom, not an arm, not off to the side, you know, none of the crappy camera shots. Why, why is that, do you think? Uh, well, it's getting close to the end of the season. Do you think you they, show something. Do you think they saved the budget for the end of the season with him? These costumes can't be very easy to walk around in, nor can they be very easy to repair. It's got to be foam rubber. And even the slightest wrong move probably tears it in such a way. Do you think they just saved this to the end? or Maybe. Or maybe they got more budget, or... I, I don't. I don't really know. I can't say. No one's been able to tell us these things. The aliens are doing. The alien is doing something telepathically. I wrote down. Boy, it's been a little while since I wrote these episodes down. Oh, so the alien grabs cables and telepathically uses like the internet to send a message through, or is this the best way they could figure out how to send a message through something? Uh, it it was almost like he was trying to take over the power of the computers and. Uh, he wasn't using the computers per se because the image of the green uh, triangle on screen went over top of the screen itself. So with some sort of alien technology, perhaps, you know, something they innately have in order to communicate, um, 
or because this person might have been a scout, uh, he's trained in a lot of things and maybe already had knowledge of human humanity. So it's it's a good deal of knowledge that we did not get was the time period at which this chunk of ice had been frozen. We don't know how long this uh, thing had been down there. They did not mention it. So I don't know whether this is a modern alien or, you know, several thousands of years ago alien. Yeah, I mean, he might not even be it might not even be aware of the uh, the invasion from the movie. Might not. Uh, I mean, the last time we saw a ship like that, it stood up on its like legs, and it was revealed it had been there for like thousands of years, and it was supposed to try to be recreating of the alien ships from the book. Yeah, yeah. The design on this was not like anything else that we've seen. So it either is severely advanced or severely primitive, but who's to say with that alien technology? It was beautiful, but very different. The scene where they have to get the syringe underneath the tongue, that hurts. Um, I was kind of imagining that's how the coronavirus uh, vaccine would be delivered to us. It wouldn't just be <laughs> oh. in the arm. It would be like in the tongue or the mouth, so we can have like immediate injection of some kind. Aww. <laughs> that Colonel Alexander, his scientific methods were was basically nothing. You know, he was semi-documenting this process, but he had no controls. He had not, nothing going on with this. This is just his old cockamamie idea. And he died for it in the end. Made a good run of it, though. Uh, right. Also, the uh, tech who gets attacked by the alien has a pretty horrible death, I think. You don't, you don't believe the explosion at the end was a horrible death? No, that you're dead and quick. I think the way the tech died by the alien's hand is even is worse. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. get blown up, you're dead, done. You know what I mean? I'm sure you probably don't feel anything. But the way the aliens kill people on this show, with the eye gouging and the mouth gouging and the blood and the ripping, yeah, no, you feel that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Blackwood's tuning fork shows up. We haven't seen that in quite some time. Yeah, it's memory recall technique. Yes. I mean, it, it is legit. It is a technique that you can use. It's quite interesting. It's kind of like reminds me of like spider sense mixed with bat sonar, kind of like, or like in a video game, you can like recreate something that happened or whatever to get a better view of like the crime scene. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, Sherlock does this on Sherlock. And that's basically what he's doing. I mean, he's recreating you know, he, everything. Yeah, he he's trying to remember every little detail and using the sound to focus his mind on that specific point in time. Well, that's all the notes I have here for the first of two episodes on the Dead TV Podcast's coverage of War of the Worlds. Uh, The raising of Lazarus um, is used in the Bible for what? And that is from John, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 44. It's basically the story of one of the times that Jesus rises a person from the dead. Uh, Lazarus, Lazarus means God helped, you know, uh, for his his name. <laughs> um, but Jesus says he gets this word from uh, Lazarus's sisters that uh, Lazarus is sick. Jesus, please come and help. Jesus says, "Oh, he's not going to die." Yeah, and then he gets word. He drags his feet and then leaves. Two days later, he gets there, sees that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And then he says, well, you know, now I can prove my power to you. Do you have faith? You know, and so they say they did. And it goes to the tomb and raises him from the dead, entombed in all his wrappings and all. So I believe this was directly related to our frozen alien. 
uh, the the rising of Lazarus. I so it, it's in the Bible. It's connected to Jesus. On the TV series Supernatural, it was connected to the rising of Lucifer from hell. Well, Supernatural is not the Bible. Plot <laughs> device. You watch your mouth. Some people consider it to be like the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> They never had Jesus on that show. They they in the final season they had Adam and Eve show up. I stopped watching that like a couple seasons in. There's some decent episodes in the last three seasons. Uh, if you if you if you already know how the show ends, then I would just skip the season finale, the second to last episode of the season of the series finale. I think it was pretty good. There's a couple good jokes in the in the series finale, but if you know how it ends, then if you don't want to be disappointed, then. Oregon Ramen is a restaurant in Ashland, Massachusetts. Serves traditional and authentic Japanese ramen, Thai noodle soups, and the best chicken wings in Metro West. Everything done in-house from scratch, and they use only the highest quality products from small farms. Co-chef owners, Papanook and Alan McIntosh, combine their culinary skills with traditional Japanese cuisine to create an authentic, amazing flavor in every dish. Located at 1 West Union Street on Ashland, Massachusetts, their phone number is 508 309 3416, or they can be located on Facebook at Dorgan Ramen Ashland and on their website as well, www.dorganramen.com. And we're back on the Dead TV Podcast with the season finale, which was not quite the season finale I alluded to to Mr. Zeneca, and if she hasn't seen the season premiere, I'm not going to tell her what, what it is, but... Uh, this is the season finale of War of the Worlds. <laughs> Not a fan. Season one finale. The Angel of Death originally aired May 15, 1989. A competing alien race sends an assassin to eliminate the invading force and to protect humanity. But for what means? <laughs> Last part was that funny. <laughs> um, okay, so this 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 episode is really bad i mean this is like the worst of the show and if people <laughs> didn't want to come back or didn't want to like continue working on the show because of this i get it this xena whatever she is bounty hunter uh boba fett wannabe girl played by Quitara. elaine yeah quitara quitara played by elaine Giftos, has been in like she was like an 80s 70s kind of star i mean she's got a ton of stuff in the 80s and 70s she was born here in Massachusetts in Pittsfield, uh, regular on Magnum PI, or she had been on Magnum PI. Uh, she was in a TV series called Angel. Sorry, she was in a 1984 movie called Angel. Have you ever heard of that? No. It is about. It's basically the Prince and the Pauper story, but with like a prostitute and a schoolgirl. Oh, I, I'm not picturing very good things with that. Molly, a high schooler, secretly earns her living as Angel, a street prostitute whose only family and friends are the ones she works with on the streets. She has to survive against a serial killer who is targeting people of her profession. Oh, so, no. wrong description, better description I just read to you. I was thinking of a different movie. But yeah, she's a high school girl who becomes a prostitute. <laughs> I'm sure the actress who played her is probably in her 20s. Well, in this episode, we have a synth android come to town. Yes. <laughs> I brought all that other stuff up because I'm just not a fan of this episode. 1992 World's Fair. 1982. 1990, 1992? 1992. 1992 World's Fair. Where was the 1992 World's Fair? New York? So, like a dream, 
the spaceship is has almost like a Terminator 2 type of visual effect where it flies through the air and then lands on these two light pillars, I suppose they are, and then transforms into a beam and then, whoop, you know, the woman appears. Very, very rudimentary form of like the T2 effects. And then for every human that she encounters, she <laughs> shoves the palm of her hand on their forehead uh, like loser and and says, remember nothing, remember nothing. It is hilarious. Uh, you can go on. I, I was waiting for you to say something. Sorry, there's phone ringing in the background. Oh, I, I, didn't, I can't hear that. You, you can't hear that? I have a phone ringing in the background, or you do? No, I, I have a phone. I was, oh, I I was couldn't, muted no, out. I, I we, couldn't hear we it. We wouldn't hear no, it. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't hear it at all. Uh, the 1992 World's Fair was in Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Yes. Um, so is that is that admitting that they are actually in Chicago at that point in time? Probably, I guess so. Um, whoever did the special effects on this episode should be fired. Special effects in this episode are terrible. That zap zap light light ray thing that she does when she does her pose is god awful. And the pose is like... Uh, a stance that you would see a wizard from the world of Harry Potter stand during a wizard's duel. You know, she's shooting with her backhand over her head in a sideways stance with these two, like, do-do-do light projectiles. It just just looks so bad. Even by 1980s standards, they just never have done it. Um, It's uh, one of the special effects people, Maria Klein, uh, she was in. She she did special effects for 28 episodes of War of the Worlds. This is not their best work. Well, I mean, it is pretty cheesy, but I kind of find that endearing. I don't. <laughs> oh. uh, have you ever seen the uh, Richard Band film, Charles Band film, Femalian? No, I don't think so. Yeah, look those up. They're not that good. That's what that this reminded me of. No. Did you go mute again? Hello? Yeah, sorry. There's people talking outside my window. Oh, okay. Um, Dirty, hairy-style guns everyone has in this episode. It's crazy. I mean, these cannons on these pistols are ginormous. Oh, yeah. But we do get to see the Omega Squad doing their job. For once. Um, and this is like the last we're going to hear of them, really, because of the tonal shift of the entire second season coming up. Oh, really? That's disappointing. I was just getting used to Omega Squad. Nope. But Susan's got the best gun of all when she pulls out her gun, but from Uncle Harry. <laughs> Uncle Hank. Sorry, Uncle Hank. Oh, her gun. Yeah, are you talking about the bacteria gun? No, her, Uncle Hank gives her like a brand new uh, weapon or whatever, and it's like huge. You didn't see that? I I don't remember that part. Yeah, um, Her- uh, uh, Iron Horse comments on it, asking, "What is that?" He's like, "She's like a birthday gift, early birthday gift from Uncle Hank." Oh, cool. Like he wants his niece protected. Uh, the advocates are worried about this bounty hunter alien. 
Now, I thought this was going to be the beginning of the end for them because something big happens with the aliens and the advocates and the species and another species, and I couldn't quite remember. And I was like, what is this? And somebody posted a GIF on our Facebook page or whatever of, like, her killing somebody. And I had no idea what the context of the GIF was because I hadn't watched the episode yet. And their comment was, well, what what a way to be a great host and know what your subject matter is. And I'm like, I haven't watched the episode in 30 years. Yeah, yeah. And I try to keep a fresh brain on this, so uh, I only, I, I do not look ahead towards episodes. The message that the uh, that they were playing on loop in order to attract the aliens into the trap uh, was pretty funny, because it's, yeah, it's obvious that they didn't know what they were repeating back, and uh, it was... Um, to avoid drinking the water in, Me- in Mexico, and that includes ice. Like, yeah, it's great advice, but if it's on a loop, of course, they they know it's a trap. <laughs> but yet they fell for it anyway. All of the aliens show up in this, and it's definitely easier probably to have the people in the co- in the uh, just looking like regular people with the uh, overdubbing gibberish alien talk than it is to have a bunch of aliens show up. Uh, but boy, do they wish they had one of those war machines because these alien human uh, people get taken out pretty quickly. There's, there is one um, one little note I, I have on here for day number four. Um, the synth is going to uh, try to get, you know, where is the advocate out of them. And the person that's acting as the alien says, we will never tell you, you bitch. But the uh, the words underneath just says, we will never tell you. <laughs> I thought that was fun. So the synth actually considers these aliens uh, that they're from Mortax to be parasites. And they must be exterminated before they spread. Now, the one thing that kind of bugged me about the way that the synth moved was that it, the synth almost moved like it was doing Tai Chi the whole time. And there didn't seem to be a reason for that. Um, but it was, it was just a little, little weird. And, and when she says, you know, that they must be exterminated before they spread, it was just, I don't know. It was funny and strange at the same time. They get, they all get shot too. Yes. Like Blackwood and everyone, they get shot, but the synth brings them back to life. That was the uh, most jarring thing is how like the entire cast is killed. And I'm like, wait. Is this the is this the season finale that I'm trying to remember or not? I was shocked by that, and uh, yeah, no, she she ends up healing them all. Um, I, but I, that still shocked me that they got everyone killed. Yeah, they, they shot everyone. She brings them back to life, and then uh, secures to us the audience the knowledge that she is the worst of the villains because they are going to be used as a food source, not just exterminated. It uh. It uh, doesn't bode well for I, now. I don't remember how if um, what happens next with this character or the the synth. You know, I I don't know, and I haven't watched that far ahead um, at all beyond like it was in the season itself. So, and as far as I can tell, well, the uh, actress only did this one episode. Yeah, I was gonna say that she was she only did this one episode, so she doesn't return, but she may return in a different form. But uh, this is not also not the debut episode. By the way, she was also on Kolchak the Night Stalker. Um, this is not the 
the episode that I thought was going to debut our like next wrong, long running cast member uh, quite yet, Adrian Paul. So that's I guess next week's episode. I guess we will have to wait until the next thrilling episode of War of the Worlds. Yes. And that's all the notes I have for this lackluster episode and season finale of the show. I'm pretty sure everyone knows what an angel of death is, so I won't explain that. Sounds good. Um, We'll be back in two weeks, properly in two weeks, for the season premiere of season two of War of the Worlds, the series. You can find all the previous episodes here on RadioHorror.com. And find us on Twitter at ChristySAV and Elegantly Kinky, or send us an email at thatradiofhorror at gmail.com. There's no focus area this week, right? Uh, yeah. Well, come back in two weeks as we start a new journey and almost like a completely different kind of show here on the Dead TV Podcast. Good night.